Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne and host Chris Crane are back for a new episode with special guest Chris Walsh, CEO of Marijuana Business Daily, one of the leading publications covering the burgeoning cannabis industry. Chris served as the founding editor of MJ Biz Daily, as they are generally known, during the company's launch in 2011, becoming one of the first journalists in the United States to focus exclusively on covering the business of cannabis. As CEO, he now guides the strategic vision of the company and its sister publication, Hemp Industry Daily, while educating mainstream industries about the marijuana and hemp sectors. In this episode, Anne and the two Chris's connect ahead of the 2022 MJ BizCon in Las Vegas to preview that show, as well as to cover some of the biggest news in the industry. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Chris Walsh, CEO of Marijuana Business Daily. So Chris, it's first off, it's awesome to be here with you. Uh, you did a uh, an interview with me, which I think was one of my f- favorite podcast interviews that I've done when I was leaving Forefront. So first off, want to you know want to thank you for that. I thought that was a you know that was a lot of fun, and it's really nice to be able to return the favor and have you on here today. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. That was actually one of my favorites too, and you know it's good when you have a relationship with the guest uh, prior, you know, it makes it a lot easier. And, and you and I have been through a lot in this industry and know each other for a long time. So excited to talk to you again about where everything's at. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, you are, you are a, a, a veteran uh, in this industry. Yeah. That that's for sure. These days. Grizzled. Um, Grizzled. Yes, veteran. yes, exactly. We've, we've both, we've both got a lot of battle scars. That's for sure. <laughs> so, well, and let's, I mean, let's start there, right? Let me, let, 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 I'd love to hear you just give, you know, a little bit of your, your background um, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, what were you doing before this and, and what brought you to the cannabis industry? Yeah, I uh, like a lot of people. I uh, dabbled around with cannabis in college. It was never really my thing, but uh, but definitely partook in some smoke sessions along the way. Uh, but then I graduated with a degree in journalism, and you know it was it was illegal, and I was uh, I didn't want to do anything that would put me in jeopardy. Uh, so I really didn't use it uh, after college that much. Every now and then, like camping or whatever. And so it wasn't, I, I say that only because it wasn't, I didn't come really from the cultural side uh, at all. And, um, you know, was was not really close to the plant and uh, was making my way in journalism. I moved to South Korea uh, and for a while and worked there. And when I moved back to Denver from South Korea in about 2011, uh, Denver's where I'm from. I went there for a couple of years uh, in journalism. I was looking for a career change and I, I wanted to get out of mainstream media. I didn't see a bright future there with layoffs and cutbacks and mm-hmm. Craigslist taking away classified dollars. If anyone still remembers what classifieds are. Um, <laughs> but so a lot of, lot of changes. And, and when I got back to Denver, there was this whole industry that wasn't there two years prior. It was the cannabis industry, medical only at that time. And, uh, you know, there were dispensaries, there were sign spinners advertising half price joints 
you know, on the major intersections, which, which wasn't really a good thing for the industry, but it was here. <laughs> and so, so kind of, um, you know, unexpectedly, uh, I saw a job posting from the two founders of what would become MJ biz for someone they wanted to help launch the company. And it was basically, you know, content focused. So we were going to write uh, case studies and tips and reports you know, how to land financing, a look at Colorado's regulations, uh, you know, a case study on a dispensary who did it well. And it was really aimed for the industry, for the business people. And so I really liked that idea and trying something different in my career and getting out of mainstream media and saying, okay, let's focus on a specific industry. And what I quickly realized is the industry didn't have anything like that. It was grew, grew up um, very quickly in an odd way and still federally illegal. And so, you know, these business people needed help. Um, they didn't have a business mindset in most cases in, in those days. And so that's what we aim to address. It was like, let's help these people make a successful companies and successful careers in this strange new medical cannabis industry that is cropping up. And, you know, at a time when no one really took it seriously, unless you were really uh, tied to the plants. Like if you remember back then, Chris, how many people did you know that were in the industry that that uh, just saw it more as an opportunity to, to, to uh, from a business perspective, uh, you know, and didn't really have a deep connection with the plant. I don't, I don't think I knew anyone. Very few in the early days. So yeah, you're right. I mean, those those early days of cannabis were, or the cannabis industry. It was mostly people that had either come from the advocacy world or come from the, you know, the illicit or the gray market. Um, and, it, and it really wasn't until. I mean, it wasn't really until around 2012, right, when Colorado fully legalized that you started to see people with, you know, with with other types of business backgrounds getting in for the business opportunities. That's, it's a great point. And I know it, it's that's not a, a great thing for me to say. What what happened, though, is that I was never like, oh, this is a great way to make money. We have no idea if this industry was even going to be around. Like, this was a huge risk for us, too. This whole thing could have just imploded. It was more right, this like, was like this, pre -col this was like pre coal memo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we had no idea there were there were raids going on in California, Montana, and Washington State. Like it was, it's like this whole thing could not be around in in a month. But so there was a there was an the way it was looked at is that here is a new industry that we can help with our background, with my background in journalism and an MBA, with our other, uh, other co-founders' background in trade publications. You know, it was like let's help this industry. And yeah, there's a business element. Of course, we want to build a successful business. But it wasn't all about the dollars. And just because I didn't come from or the two co-founders didn't come from cannabis backgrounds, it didn't mean we valued the industry and the people in it any less. And in fact, it quickly became clear to me and I became proud of it because especially on the medical side, I was like, this is this is really helping people. And, and everyone's shunning it to the side and thinks this is some you know, stupid little you know, potheads. What are they doing? You know, that's really what it felt like. But I never saw it that way. And, and so like we hear when we look at people's stories about how they got in, it wasn't a personal connection for me like, oh, my grandmother started using it. It was just became abundantly clear right away that there were people of all ages with medical conditions who could benefit from this. So it wasn't like any other business I'd, I'd necessarily been in. There was a direct connection that I felt to the, the, how the end product in this industry or medicine helped people. I love I love hearing that. Um, I mean, and, and it's something that I think I've encountered a lot 
in my years here uh, where, or my years in this industry where, you know, somebody gets into it because they see it as something interesting, something new, something different, right? May not have a personal connection. And it's that medical side in particular, when they start seeing the benefits that it has for patients, um, they, you know, they, 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 they get it, right? It's like a light bulb moment for so many folks. And they be, you know, and they, because they, they start to really care passionately about it, not just as a business opportunity, but, um, you know, because of the good that this plant brings to so many people, um, uh, that, uh, and so it's, it's just, it's great to hear that as well. Um, you know, so talk then a little bit about the, you know, the early days of MJ biz and, and, you know, how you guys grew it into the, the 800 pound gorilla that it is today. Well, when we started the, the, the website, the offering was called Dispensary Insider. And it was really aimed at, again, this deep kind of B2B, business to business insight and, uh, and advice and analysis to help people grow their business. It really wasn't about news and, and, and analysis that way or data. It was, um, it was a true B2B trade publication focus. So we were, we were aiming at one segment of the cannabis industry the dispensaries. And uh, what we quickly found out is, you know, I started writing business focused content and stories, what's going on, oh, Colorado just released these regulations. You know, no one was really doing that in a comprehensive level across the country. Uh, and most of the, you know, the mainstream media was looking at it as a joke. So they just parachute in every now and then and, and write some story with Rocky Mountain High in the headline and green in the lead at the beginning of the story. And it's like they didn't take it seriously. They didn't devote any resources and no one did it comprehensively across the country. So, you know, we quickly moved from, hey, let's do these, like I mentioned, reports on how to win financing in this industry. And here's a checklist for Colorado regulations. We've quickly realized that as I got out in the industry, that the industry is, was changing so quickly, had so much, so many unknowns. There was so much news that no one was covering in a, in a responsible way that businesses were in just this murky, dark area and they were relying on each other, uh, you know, and, and you just, that's all you could really do. And so uh, there was no insight behind developments, how it impacts businesses, you know, what's going on in, in Washington, if you're in California, like, you know, so, so what we tried to do is switch the focus to news with analysis of what the news means for people in the industry, including investors and for people coming in. And that's where we really started to gain traction because that's what the industry needed. Um, I'm sure you remember that time. I mean, there was a lot of blogs. There were a lot of advocacy-focused content, uh, opinion-focused content, but no one really really taking the industry seriously from a business content perspective. So that that was the kind of the genesis of how we quickly evolved. And and I will just quickly say, you know, we we almost got out, which would have been a colossal mistake of epic proportions. Um, but you know, at, towards the end of 2011, which was our first year, those raids had picked up, um, in various states because this was a lot of forfeiture, a lot of forfeiture letters then too. Um, forfeiture letters. Forfeiture letters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a disaster. And, uh, you know, so, so we were like, again, I don't know if this industry is even going to be here. We don't even know how to make money off this. Like we have to make money to pay my salary. Like, what are we, what are we doing as, as a business if we can't? So. You know, um, dispensary owners at that time did not, they didn't really care about, they weren't sophisticated business-wise. That's not a knock on them, but they didn't care about shelf space and how you can optimize, you know, branding and and uh, upsell people, all the stuff we wanted to help do that, uh, you know, sophisticated retail industry is 
is really into. So we didn't really know how to monetize it. Um, and uh, we almost got out of it. So I took actually half of my time away from MJ Biz daily. And I started looking at other opportunities for the company to get into other business to business industries, not, not having anything to do with cannabis. Uh, and one of the most promising ones, the, think of how the trajectory would have changed <laughs> if we had given up. One of the most promising ones was a, a business to business publication for veterinarians. Like, <laughs> like we saw a, a hole there a, cross, right? a lot of crossover there with the with the cannabis industry <laughs> well nowadays yeah maybe, maybe i was gonna say we see here all the time but like cbd for dogs and stuff right maybe it would have come full, full circle if we had just gone into vet stuff and now we'd be covering cbd uh, as well but um you know we were actually going to to i was just going to keep a toe in cannabis we we're going to see where it was going to go and we were going to launch a whole new uh, business unit um so that's how close we got to coming out of this and and I think the big change there is, uh, you know, we had the the memo, coal memo that kind of changed things. We had rec, rec legalization passing, adult use in Colorado and Washington. And then we also had, um, uh, you know, just basically a a surge in interest because of all of that. And and our new our new thought was, if we're going to stay in this, we need to double down. Now's the time to double down. We're going to put some hope into where this is going. And uh, and we're going to do a trade show and a conference and get people together to have the right conversations and make it professional, you know, not not a smoke fest, you know, with be real or or some you know, you know, Cheech and Chong walking around. Nothing, not there's anything wrong with that, but that's not what we wanted to do for the industry. Um, so that led to MJ BizCon and getting people together, get, having a place to exhibit in a very professional setting that put a good put the industry in a good light. And so that was a long way of saying that's kind of the early evolution of the company. So when you look at starting companies, you always go through a period where, man, are we going to make it? <clears throat> are we going to, is this going to work? We went through that too. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the conference, right? We want to, we're going to, we'll, we'll, after this, we'll get into, uh, we'll turn it over to Ann and we'll start getting into what's going on now. But you know, the, the marijuana business conference the MJ Biz Daily conference in, in Vegas has really become like I hear it we're kind of referred to as like, you know, marijuana Super Bowl, right? Like everybody's there. Everybody has to be there. Um, I mean, it, it's it, for those I'm, I'm sure our listeners have all either been or, um, or or know about it. But, you know, just in case, I mean, it's you know, it's, you've got 40 something thousand people that show up for this thing. It's just like everybody who's anybody in cannabis and then everybody else. Right. Is all there. Um, but that wasn't always the case. I remember. You know, I remember being at the the first conference in Denver in 2012, uh, which was uh, very fortuitously timed. And I'll let you tell that story. Um, but, you know, that that did not have the same kind of numbers that, you know, you see today with this conference. Um, and granted, the industry didn't have the same kind of numbers by, you know, by, by, by any stretch of the imagination uh, as it does today uh, either. Um, but uh, but but I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about you know, how that started, what kind of challenges you all faced with the early conferences and how it evolved into, you know, this Super Bowl type event that it's become for the industry. Yeah. And I, I appreciate your involvement and faith in us and support of us in the early days when it was especially critical. You were always a great source for us, someone to bounce ideas off of, someone to call for opinions and insight on industry developments. And we always knew we that's you were the type of person we needed to find and then get out there in the industry to uh, because of how you approached it and your, your knowledge level. Um, some of the issues we faced when we first decided to have an event in 2012 
were that a the stigma around cannabis. So we said that we're we're based in Denver. Let's do it here. Kind of makes sense, at least in Colorado. And uh, we couldn't really find venues that would take us. Now we were a little <laughs> late in the process. We tried to get a venue more closer into the event dates we had planned than normal than you normally would. But so some of it was that, but a lot of it was no. We're not hosting a cannabis conference. Like, are you kidding? Uh, and we're like, no, 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 it's business. It's not, there's not going to be any plants on, you know, any marijuana on the show floor. And um, so we ended up uh, taking what we could get, which was an event center in downtown Denver. That was an old, old Masonic lodge yep. that had been <laughs> converted, you know, a men's bathroom on one floor, a woman's bathroom on the other floor, um, really historic, cool building, but it was the only one that would take us. It actually worked well for cannabis and the, and the cultural side in general, just because it had a different look and feel. It wasn't a sterile. It was a very center. cool venue. It was, a, it was actually yeah. a very cool venue. I just have visions really cool. of like sweat lodges, <laughs> like <laughs> communing with nature. Not quite to that level, but it did, uh, it did have a unique character to it that suited the industry well. Um, and so, you know, that was our first challenge, but really it was, you know, I have to say at that time, you didn't know who you could trust. And I just alluded to this by saying we trusted Chris, uh, you and and your ability to speak fairly and objectively about the industry. But there are a lot of iffy, you know, characters out there and and they might sound good or it sounded like they had a real legit business for the industry, the industry. But when you dug a little deeper, you're like, oh, this person's a joker or they're they're a scam artist. Like even just yeah. figuring out who was legit, um, who had the industry and patients' best interest in mind was very hard. So when you're organizing a conference and you're putting people on stage and giving the implicit indication that you trust them, you know, part of my challenge in organizing this was, okay, I know people like Chris, uh, Brian Vicente, you know, who is really uh, still is very big, uh, Denver cannabis legal scene, you know, advocacy. There were some, some no-brainers, but there was a whole slew of people you want to get actually operators on the stage from around the country and not just the markets you're familiar with. So it became very difficult to wade through who, who was legit and not. So that was a, that was a challenge and it still is to this day. Um, but it was a big challenge to hosting your first one when you still have only been in the industry for a year and, and you don't know all the players and, and all the States. Uh, so that was difficult, but just to kind of fast forward, we, we just went in saying, Hey, if we could just pull this off and get, you know, 150 people, together and a couple exhibitors uh and you know we we can help the industry connect in the right ways we'll we'll be successful and so we got about 30 just over 30 exhibitors that had little booths little simple booths tabletops mostly and then we had uh about 400 attendees and um and that was a huge success for us you know we i, I wore a suit and tie and i gave the intro speech <laughs> i'm sure people are like who the hell is this guy um but, you know, it was, I don't know if you remember, Chris, but it was more, we wanted that feeling. We didn't want to be the outsiders, but we were also like, let's take this thing seriously, people. Yeah, no, it was. It felt like a real business conference. I'm sorry, Ann, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say the, the suit thing, our, our colleague, Phil Carlson, you know, remembers going, I think, I think KCSA's first event was like 2016 or 17. And Phil went the first day and he's on the investor relations side in a suit. He's like, I was getting weird looks. No one was talking to me. And so the next day he showed up in like jeans and a t-shirt and he's like, it was a completely different conference. Like it opened up, people were talking to me. <laughs> um, and he's like, so, you know, it was definitely a learning curve in terms of, you know, the, the industry and, and bringing a, a sense of professionalism to it because these, you know, these companies still needed 
you know, accounting services, legal services, PR, IR, and all of this stuff. And it was just a, a matter of us kind of calibrating to what their needs were. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. And I will say too, that I, I was in a suit and tie. I still wear a suit. I've ditched the tie. I'm done with ties. I hate them. Um, Burn but, all the ties. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't, again, it wasn't to force everyone. You have to do this. It has to be like a corporate, uh, you know, event, but it was like, needed at the time to say let's bring a different feel to this industry take it seriously focus on the business side right which is what you all are doing at the end of the day and uh, and i remember some uh, you know a lot of our speakers and a decent number of attendees actually had sports coats on uh i remember steve d'angelo from harborside you know a common keynote over the years but we kind of put him up there on stage and he had a sports coat on you know he didn't show up and you know so it, it had a, just a different feel and we felt hey, we do have a purpose in this industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, Chris and I are like texting back and forth and we, we've we all had those, you know, those MJ BizCon moments. Like anybody in this industry, either it's, you know, I met someone and we did a deal or I discovered this new product or I like, so so you are the event that's at the hub of everything, um, you know. And it's, I, where, it, it, it's where I met Lewis Goldberg, in case you said. Oh, uh, Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I guess, how does it feel to be the facilitator of, of it's, the industry? It's awesome. I mean, and it's not what we set out to do day one in this way. We, we didn't know we wanted to facilitate, be a facilitator in the industry, but we were starting doing that just with content. So I think we achieved what we set out to do. We achieved that base mission and strategy uh, just in different ways than we initially expected. Uh, it it's, it feels great. I mean, I I, I hear um, everyone I talk to, you know, who's been there, especially in their early days, they they do have a MJ BizCon moment, and it might be I ran into this person on the show floor, and now they're my partner, or yeah, I I I, I met an investor, or you know what, I was at the bar down yep. the street, and yep. you know, met this person who helped me with this, or I helped them too. A lot of people like to go and help others, so. You know, it feels good to do that. I think, you know, it is a Super Bowl type event for the industry because, you know, a lot of people come, a lot of people go to the event. Some people don't, which is a business challenge we face is, you know, it's kind of like the Super Bowl. Like you can still go where the Super Bowl is and people don't actually go to the game. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need to make sure we're constantly providing value and reassessing. But, you know, we wanted to create an ecosystem. And I think that's what we've done. You know, people come and they their side parties and their side meetings and they're having their all their employees come out for their annual employee get together. And rather than going somewhere else, they just say, we're going to do it in Vegas during MJ BizCon. Like it makes, I think it makes us proud that I think we played a role in the industry's evolution that is, is, is valuable. Um, and we have, we have problems like any business, we have challenges. Um, you know, there's certain ways we could be providing more value or we have to look into things. Um, but when I zoom out, I'm just proud of what we were able to accomplish. Well, and it, it seems like you guys were really just hitting your stride. And then um, a little thing comes along called COVID-19. Wait, what, um, what is that again? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that virus that shall not be named. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how did how did you guys, from a business standpoint, navigate that? Um, that was the darkest time of my professional life. And I want to put it in perspective because everyone had challenges across the board. And, you know, to say, oh, woe is me, 2020 was bad. Like we all dealt with so much. It was just a life-changing thing that came out of nowhere that we all experienced. So I don't want to 
over dramatize any of the things I went through. But in the context of MJ Biz, you know, I, I didn't have personal impacts from COVID in the sense that I lost someone close to me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. So purely from a business side, though, you know, I took oh, I, I helped start the company in 2011 and uh, really built the content side up and really became kind of an analyst of the industry because I was connecting all the dots across the country, which a lot of people weren't doing at the time. And uh, kind of we came into our own that way. And then I moved along on the business side more and got more further away from the content directly. And so come January 2020, I took over as CEO with the CEO title from Cassandra Farrington, who was one of the co-founders who wanted to step back. And, um, you know, it had been a long haul. As you guys know, the, the industry can just beat you down and wear you out. So she was ready for kind of a changing of the guard. And um, I was excited. You know, I went from helping launch this mainly on the journalism side to uh, taking it over as CEO and flexing some business muscles uh, from you know my MBA and all that. And so I took over and I remember talking to the staff and they all, of course, knew me. It wasn't like an outsider coming in. And I said, here's what we're going to do. And I laid out my plan. It was a solid plan. We have seven events. We're going overseas. Um, we're going to streamline things like uh, we're going to fix this, that and uh, kind of rally the troops and it was fun and everyone was joking and then you know two months later two and a half months later we closed the office and then it was like oh i've got to cut costs dramatically because you know we have an event we have a, a business that gets advertising dollars through mj biz daily but the bulk of it is through live events and you had no clarity on if and when and how they would come back zero zero clarity so just like everyone else's business, you had to pivot and adjust. The difference for us was that we were among the hardest hit, like airlines and hotels, because we depended on getting people together. And um, and so I found myself having to conduct furloughs and talking to the staff and getting emotional. Um, I never wanted to be that person. Uh, I never, uh, you know, I didn't want to have to make those. I didn't think I would be making those decisions. I knew that as CEO, that could be a potential, but I drastically three months after I started did not think that was in the cards. We were doing well, our industry was doing well, everything was awesome. So then it was layoff, it was furloughs and it was like, okay, our revenue might drop 95% this year. What the hell do we do? Yeah. So, so, what the hell did, very, so what the hell did you do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Drank, no. Um, <laughs> ate a bunch of animals. a lot of weed. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I look back and it was it was a very trying time, very emotional uh, trial by fire. I mean, imagine taking on a CEO role of a company with you know ninety people with plans to add thirty for your first time, and within months, first time as a CEO uh, in a booming business, this happened. So, um, you know, it was it was just very difficult. We had to get our costs in line, and um, you know, the furloughs turned into layoffs because we just you know in the summer there was still no clarity on where everything was going and you still couldn't get i mean remember the laws you couldn't even like get together with your neighbors mm -hmm. you know let alone 50 people let alone thirty thousand. so um we just had to we just decided that we could either go dark and really just kind of go go silent um cut costs dramatically and see where this all ended and a lot of a lot of event companies did that um but we decided not to and we decided to keep our value to the industry out there. If, if a time in the industry needed something like what we do, it was then. We could still help people through news and analysis and content, 
so we invested still in substantial staffing costs without any clarity. And we had a war chest we built up by being very responsible and we started eating into that significantly. Um, so yeah, it was, there was a, there was a lot of different ways we could have gone and, uh, we, our revenue did drop by, by 90, over 90% that year. And, uh, and, but we were able again to keep our reach, keep our brand and hopefully our value for the industry. And so we made a long-term gamble, uh, rather than a short-term maybe the short-term one would have been smarter. We could have saved a lot of money, but it would have been a lot of pain. It would have affected a lot of people. And so I look back and think we made the right decisions, um, but they weren't easy and, uh, and they affected people still. I mean, laying people off that families that you knew that you hired, right? I mean, eh, that's what, I guess that's, that's the uh, life you choose when you get into the decision-making uh, roles. Absolutely. No, and that it's, it, it is incredibly difficult. You know, we went through something similar when I was at Forefront uh, right around the start of COVID where, um, you know, partially due to COVID, partially due to just the general economic factors in the industry at the time and the company where we had to do a round of layoffs. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Right? I mean, we had to lay off people who were, who had become personal friends and that's, that's never fun for anybody. And, and I, you know, I, I, I sympathize with what you had to go through. Um, but I will say in the end, you guys, you did make it through and you did come out the other side. Okay. Um, and you know, I was at, I'll say, you know, when it, coming back to the show, you know, I was at last year's conference and you know, I'll say going into it, right. You know, last year was really the first time people were going to any kind of conferences or shows coming out of COVID, I had no idea what to expect, um, right? I didn't know, we're, you know, was, were we going to go down to, you know, 5,000 people? Was it going to be another, you know, 25, 30 something thousand people like it had been? Um, and it, and it, was a, it was a big success. I mean, the, 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 it was a massive crowd and it kind of seemed like it felt to me and uh, like everything just kind of picked back up where it had left off in, you know, in, in 2019 um, at the last conference. Uh, did it feel that way for you? Were you nervous going into the first show post-COVID? Uh, like, what were, you, what were you guys thinking? What were your expectations? And, uh, and how did the reality match up with that? Honestly, uh, you know, we, we were like, if we can hold a show of any size, we are good. Um, so uh, we had various scenarios, budgeting scenarios planned. And we were like, look, if we can basically get you know, a third, just a third of what we did in 2019, attendees, exhibitors, revenue, uh, and, and get people back together. Hey, it was way better than, you know, almost nothing. And, and this silly virtual event strategy that everyone, including us went down that just did not have the value that's needed and sustainable. We would have celebrated uh, a third of what we did in 19. Um, so, you know, as we got closer, there was always the concerns of, is this going to flare up and, and are we even going to be allowed to do it? Are there going to be new restrictions in Vegas or Nevada? Are people not going to want to travel again? You did, we had no idea if this was going to spike again. So we, we ended up in, in this little valley when you look back. And in October, we, we had moved the event to October last year when it had normally been in November, December. And that was when things had looked a lot better. And, you know, people had been vaccinated, the numbers were going down significantly, regulations loosened up. So we went into that, got a, you know, big surge last minute. So we were, we were fairly close to what we did in 19 in terms of size. And that was fantastic. And the optimism in the industry was off the charts, you know, getting together again, hey, we all made it through this, the industry's doing great, it surged during the pandemic. Um, so we were, we were just, I mean, 
based on what we went through as a business, it was the best case scenario we could ever have asked for. And everyone was excited and eager and just, uh, you know, just happy to be, to be around each other again and feel normal. Um, so that's how that went. And, uh, and you know, what, what happened is, as you remember, two months later, we had the next variant of, uh, and now I'm getting them all confused. Was it Omicron? It was just was before it? Omicron. Yeah, yeah. We were Omicron. kind of in the, the conference ended up like in between Delta and Omicron. Yeah, right. Yeah. And some other Greek letter. Um, yeah. But we, uh, we, 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 if we had had the event at the end of December, uh, and I know that Chris, your involvement with NCIA, that was just a tougher time and no one could predict it. No one could predict. It. And so in December, January, everything looked completely different again. And everyone was freaking out. And this thing was spreading rap- more rapidly than any other variant. And, and so I look back and think we got lucky on the timing. Yeah, no doubt. Um, can we, so something else interesting happened in January of this year <laughs> for you guys. Um, do you, or was, it Jan- was it January? Yes. January yes. of this year, um, yeah. you guys were acquired uh, by Emerald holdings or emerald emerald x um so did did that happen as a as a was it were you guys already in talks or did it happen kind of as a result of you know the struggles through covid or can you talk a little bit about the genesis of that deal you know i think um chris as you probably saw over the years going back before any type of transaction happened with you um you know we'd get reach outs all the time people uh, investment firms, uh, you know, kind of saying, Hey, if you guys are looking to sell and, you know, we the owners would kind of look at some and, you know, we'll hear you give you an ear. They weren't actively looking to sell. And we felt we were on firm ground going forward. And, uh, but you know, it had been brutal. COVID was brutal. And also the industry has changed so much. And so kind of the, our ability to take a startup to the next level, to where, you know, from where we are changed, like we needed an infusion of experience expertise, uh, you know, was I still the right person to, to take this company to where it needed to go, given that it was still evolving quickly, it's becoming more, uh, you're seeing more savviness come in more money, more outside players, like, how do we get this company and events and, and content arm to the level it needs to be. And I think the feeling was, Hey, if there's another company out there who does what we do and they're interested, like that's the kind of company that could get us into the next chapter of our evolution. Uh, and, and the owners were kind of ready to, to move on as well and thought that, that our skill sets as a whole um, were great up until now, but that maybe something else was needed. And so, um, you know, I think that led to talks in uh, 2021 and uh, we we were able to close a deal with Emerald publicly traded uh, events company had nothing to do with cannabis. I'm going to speak at, at some of their shows coming up. They do security like mainstream security. They do a pizza and pasta expo, which I'm speaking at, which I can't wait. Oh my. Uh, God. It's for that industry. Oh yeah. Gotta find oh, a way to combine, think, combine that one with the cannabis exactly, show. Exactly. I think you need to like weigh yourself before and after that show. So the diet began like two weeks ago. I got to go like fast <laughs> before I go to this thing. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, uh, and so and so it was just good timing. It was a company that does what we do, uh, run events and gets that and knows how to scale. And um, and so it just it was it was just the right time, the right partner. And honestly, when I think of it, it's like, 
from me coming in all optimistic as CEO to then furloughing and laying off and, oh my God, revenue's down. We don't know if it's ever coming back to um, holding a virtual event that was very difficult to coming out of COVID and hosting our in-person event in 2021 to all of a sudden ending that within two years of the start of COVID, we had a tremendous exit for the company, which with a really good valuation, this was not a fire sale. Mm -hmm. This was not a fire sale. Yeah. And, and so it's just amazing when I look back on it, that, that, that was the end of that chapter was, Hey, look, everything not only turned out all right, but damn turned out pretty well. And so, and so how's it, I mean, how's it gone? Like what's, what's changed in your, you know, your day-to-day life, your day-to-day work life now that you're part of this, this bigger platform. And what what are some of the benefits you're seeing as, as being, you know, being now a part of this much larger company? Well, I think first of all, my role has shifted a bit. And Chris, I think my path in that regards is similar to yours uh, in the sense that I, I've become more externally focused now uh, with MJ Biz. So I, I have, you know, CEO of MJ Biz, but I'm really out there speaking at other events, primarily mainstream industries uh, that have an interest in cannabis and they're hearing it from clients and attendees and they need to know about it from a reliable source. Uh, meeting with our top clients, meeting other CEOs, all of that. So my focus has shifted, uh, which it began before Emerald, but also accelerated when Emerald bought us. So for one, my role has shifted a bit. I am now part of their bigger organization with 700 employees, right? And we're just one division. We're a big one, but so we're part of this big umbrella company. And I think, you know, the benefits are you have a whole team, a whole bigger team now that you can tap into uh, and, and software programs and economies of scale, uh, you know, with, uh, negotiating vendor contracts and all of that. Um, so there's a lot of that uh, behind it. And then as you know, as well, Chris, there's other things that go along with being part of a publicly traded company and integrating (laughs) into an existing business with its own systems that it's trying to streamline across the company. So, you know, there's been the good and there's been the, the extra resources and the, and honestly having other people that understand what we do to say, how do we grow this? How do we scale this? How do we handle this issue? How do we stay on our feet? So we're providing value. But uh, with any, any M&A deal, I've, I've covered enough of these. I've known enough people through them. You know, there's, there's, there's challenges and integrating your systems, integrating your culture, integrating your people, uh, figuring out if there's new organizational structures, uh, making sure everything is efficient and tapping into other areas of the business. Those are just all the things that any business has to work through and that that's what this year has been about for us too. And that can be great and it can lead to successful outcomes and it can be difficult and frustrating as well. Absolutely. Well, let, let's pivot and, and talk about what what this year brings for you guys. You know, you're, you have this infrastructure behind you. You have a slightly different, you have a different role. Um, but but looking at the the conference that we all know and love that's coming up, um, what can what can attendees expect? Well, uh, I think that when we came back live in 2021, the the idea, as I mentioned, was just to hold the damn thing. Like, can we get people together? Can we make this valuable? And uh, can we get a check mark that this was a success in that regard? Um, so we weren't trying to add things. We were trying to actually streamline it. We weren't going to have a bunch of moving parts and a bunch of things that were different uh, because anything could have changed and we could have had to cancel the whole thing again. Um, this year, though, since then, this past year has really been about what do we need to do to elevate the the event and and bring more value and new things. You know, the industry has changed a lot, which you you both know very well. 
you had the boom times in 2020 and into 2021 when by the end of the year things had started to look a little worrisome and now you know we're in a much different situation so the industry's needs its concerns its challenges have changed so we're really trying to tap into that i mean the industry hasn't been in this type of position in its history and so we need to be aware of that and make sure that the discussions taking place that we're facilitating them whether it's on the show floor or it's on the stage uh, because people need to know how to get through this period so from a content perspective we realize that hey there's a lot of pain right now we need to help people come together commiserate but also talk about strategies that get you through it and uh, set you up for success when we all get out of it so that's that's one thing that we're focused on but you know we've also we're also making some big changes uh, anyone who's been there has known as it's grown the show it's become increasingly difficult to navigate the show floor it's too big uh you can spend the entire day just walking every aisle and, and oh my you, God. Might, Amen. you might get through the whole thing maybe not <laughs> <laughs> um so we've segmented it and and it's not this unique bright these guys are a brilliant idea like we're segmenting the show floor we've thought about this in years past but the exhibitors didn't want it there was a lot of pushback but now we had to do it and what i mean by that is you know there will be four overarching areas where all the exhibitors are, are grouped together whether it's cultivation uh whether it's uh you know and processing whether it's retail services and and, and uh equipment and and um you know business services and extraction equipment we have these umbrella categories here that will really help people navigate and they can go to one area and know those types of companies will be there and i think that's a huge evolution for us so you're not just scattered all over the place um and then also we're really loosening our tie uh you know we i mentioned wearing a suit at that first one and kind of feeling out of place too um <laughs> but we, we felt we had to take that professional approach for so long and not veer into the the other side both for legal risk but also for the industry's reputation but so long story short this year we're we're going to have uh, a big patio out that we're running that's going to have um food trucks and DJs and games like that, you know, that isn't MJ BizCon to most people. Yeah, that's going on at other, you know, offsite things after our show. But uh, we're going to add that onto the show floor so people can also relax, unwind and have that kind of experience while they're there. So it's not just there's a bunch of booths. I'm walking around trying to meet the right people. And now I'm going home or I'm, I'm going to the sessions. Um, so we're bringing in some of that fun, too. I can say some 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 good food at the convention hall will be uh, that will be very well received. Uh, I think the food trucks will be a big hit. Um, but you know, moving from the conference itself, you you mentioned the difficulties that the industry is having these days, and you know, I think everybody that follows us, everybody that's involved in this, is seeing just how tough it is out there, um, and and we're seeing it on on just about all levels. Um, you know, you've got, you know, and particularly when it comes to raising capital, uh, you know, I think, a, I think a lot of businesses that previously went public on the CSC may be regretting that choice today, uh, right? And they did it a few years ago when that was one of the only places you could raise capital. And with those sources dried up right now, you're stuck with being a public company without access to institutional capital, um, even, you know, even the, the smaller Canadian institutions. Um, and that's had a big trickle down impact to private companies, smaller businesses, mom and pops, equity businesses. I mean, raising money has never been this difficult. I mean, not you know, going, I mean, at least, at least going back to the, like the very early days when there just was no money in this industry. Um, so, you know, be curious to get like, get, get your take on, what's happening now, but, but also, 
from your vantage point, like, what do you think it's going to take to get the industry out of the hole that it's currently in? I think it's a catalyst. Um, I, I agree with your assessment. I mean, the, the, one of the root problems, and there are several, but one of the root problems right now is the just the complete drying up of capital, especially on the cultivation side, which has just been killed by, by this um, scenario working through the industry. Um, so, you know, when businesses don't have, and it's not, it's publicly traded, but it trickles all the way down to the uh, entrepreneurs, to the small mom and pops, to the mid-sized businesses looking to expand, you know, these businesses aren't able to get money now. So if you're starting a business, it's a lot harder. So startup activity, depending on where you are, what's part of the industry is more difficult. Uh, businesses aren't getting it to expand. Um, so, you know, that, that ripples through the industry as well, because they're not making new purchases. And then you have some businesses needed to survive. And maybe their whole model was based on continuous capital raises. We've seen a lot of that in not only in cannabis, but in the general business climate. And when that's gone, it's like, uh-oh, the spigot's been turned off. Um, now I'm in survival mode. And then you have the big companies, the MSOs, the publicly traded ones, that obviously have to put the brakes on spending as well uh, if they're unable to, to get funding or, or get interest in their stock. So. I think that's a fundamental part of what we're seeing in the industry. Uh, other concerns as well, California is a mess with their regulations. Uh, no short-term fixes there. You have saturation in other markets and, and there's growing pains and maybe a resetting that needs to happen, a level setting, and there's going to be some pain. There's going to have to be some churn uh, to make this sustainable. So lots of things going on. So I really see it as a, a catalyst that's needed. Uh, I think Biden's remarks, there are definitely different views on that. And some people think it was lip service and uh, posturing and it's not really going to help anything. I have a different opinion than that. I think it it may not be the catalyst the industry needs, but it's one of them. Um, we need to see change. We need to see something fundamental change for this uh, industry to get back on track. And I think that's uh, the, the Banking Act, Safe Banking Act, uh, potentially passing in early January would be a huge catalyst. Uh, you know, the election could be a huge catalyst if all the states with measures on the ballot pass. Uh, you know, we have to see the makeup of Congress. We have to see the makeup of state races. Um, depending on how that goes, that could infuse some life back in the industry, some optimism, some investment dollars. Uh, and then any federal change, if Biden continues, if state governors to heed his words, you know, if we feel that there's a federal change in the works, finally, uh, even if it's going to take years to play out, is what we need is the investment community to get excited again. And we need we need the industry to right size to the realities going forward, which is that we are not going to be able to survive anymore solely based on new growth. It can't always be about uh, new markets and, you know, new patients, new consumers. Um, we've been fueled by that. And that covers up a lot of warts. It did for our company as well. You know, that we, we kind of got a little reckless. I see it all over the industry. When those new markets, those new people are not, you know, uh, at growing at the rates that they have been the massive rates that they have been, we have to have sophisticated business strategies to handle that. And some people aren't going to make it. And maybe it's not their fault. Um, but it's the reality of the situation. Some some states can't support the industry as is right now. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, uh, I, I worry, I worry a lot about if we don't, if we don't get banking passed 
this year, I worry a lot about what the next couple of years are going to look like. Uh, and I think, I think it's going to be a bit of a bloodbath and I think you'll see some name brand uh, companies go under. Um, and, you know, I mean, even, even if safe banking passes, like I don't think that that's the panacea that saves everything, but I think it helps a lot. Um, and without it, it's, you know, the outcomes or out, the near term outcome or outlook, I should say is, is a little bit grim. Um, but you know, uh, on the on the more positive side, you mentioned Biden's comments, um, and that was that was the biggest news, right? Uh, when it comes to anything cannabis related, and you know maybe the October surprise of this election season. Um, now he did, you know, to be fair, right? He he he. What he actually did was relatively small in terms of the number of people that are going to receive pardons, a descheduling process or rescheduling process that he calls for. That's, you know, at best, probably an 18 to 24 month process right before we see anything really come out of it. Um, but, you know, you alluded to it's still potentially having a real impact on the industry. So I'd, I'd be interested in hearing you expand a little bit more on, you know, the impact that you think Biden's statements have directly, but also, um, you know, what kind of downstream effects do you think it has in terms of you know, the ability of the ability of Congress to you get something like safe banking done this year. And Chris, you have more insight than me on on the political side and and how advocacy, you know, plays a role. So I'm I'm preaching to the choir with you specifically, but for listeners, look, I mean, if you've if you've seen how this evolves with cannabis, how laws change, it, it is a it is a long progression of small steps. And and so, you know, it's it's about, hey, the conversation, it's actually lawmakers are at least talking about it. And hey, someone drafted a bill, but yeah, it's a Democrat and he's kind of a pot dude, you know, but hey, at least we someone made an effort. And then it's like, oh, okay, so now it's a it's in a committee. Ooh, cool. And then it dies. Oh, now it passed a committee the next year or whatever. And then, oh my gosh, they're actually debating it seriously and it didn't pass. And then, you know, one chamber votes for it, but the other doesn't like. These things work in steps. There's not going to be one moment where everything changes, right? So when I when I look at it that way, I remember years ago when, you know, marijuana wouldn't even come up during the presidential debates. And, and I remember one year it did, and we wrote, we wrote a story about it. Oh, they were asked, the candidates were asked about marijuana, and they answered in like one sentence, right? And that was a big deal. They even brought it up, right? But then, but then... You saw four years later, it was, oh, they're paying more attention. So when I look at the bigger picture, it's an involvement that I'm looking for. It's evolving. It's these small steps that lead to the big moves. And when I look at what Biden did, yeah, in reality and direct impacts, there's almost nothing. There is on people that, you know, uh, the charge of federal crimes for, for minor possession, and maybe there'll be ripple effects there. But when I look at it from a business perspective, it's like, no, I mean, this doesn't change the fact that there's oversupply and falling prices and and companies discounting just to hang on and bad regulations like no it doesn't immediately change all that to me to have a sitting president just come out and and that's all he was talking about this wasn't buried into some other big thing he was talking about he came out just to talk about this and say we need to right the wrongs the marijuana as a schedule one drug i think he said makes no sense and again, a sitting president, we've had people leave office. We've had uh, you know, people around the DOJ leave office uh, and say, yeah, things should change. Not while they're in it. And so this is huge to me that, because it's another crack. It's another crack in this you know, hard shell that's been around cannabis and the stigma behind it. And whether you even the people that hate Biden, right, um, 
this does nothing to change their mind and it might turn them off of marijuana, right? Because they don't want to do anything he supports. <laughs> but the bottom line is these things need to happen and this is how it happens. And so I'm, I think it's significant in the big picture uh, in that way. Uh, the media impacts on the industry, I think, are that it's all about perception. It's all about where the industry's going. And it's all about the investment money and the optimism behind it. To me, right now, there are other issues the industry needs to tackle. But the current funk, what would help is if the investors come back and there's excitement and they're willing to place bets in a risky industry, which they've been unwilling to do this year. And something like this, if they're reading the tea leaves and they're saying, okay, I don't know when this is going to happen, but if I sit on the sidelines too much longer, I'm going to miss the big opportunity. So we're coming in. And that could be an angel investor. You know, that could be a, a, a family office. It's all along the spectrum. And that's where I see the impact. This industry moves and, and is supported based on people believing in it and where it's going. And I think a lot of people haven't been believing in it um, this year. And so putting putting more money into it in a new way and not a blindly optimistic go, you know, blow this on an advertising campaign, we, it, bring the money in to the right companies doing it responsibly and doing it the right way with the strategy. And I think that's going to help us a lot. That's where I see the immediate impact. And I don't know if that's going to be super significant. I'm, this isn't a panacea. This isn't the opening of the floodgates, what Biden did. But I do see it having a positive impact and hopefully for the Safe Banking uh, Act as well. You know, Chris, you talked about this this image of this, you know, hard shell and, and chipping away at it. There's a lot of different things kind of chipping away at the at the shell. Um, and I think one of those is um, it, it is different states, you know, coming online with adult use or or even medical programs um, at this point, the, the few states that don't have them. Um, you know, we're gearing up for for an election in a in a couple of weeks. Um, what states do you have your eye on or what, what is particularly exciting to you? Well, I think any any time we get any new state legalizing medical or adult use is a huge deal even ones that are restrictive, even ones that don't have a high population, like if Wyoming legalizes, that's that's significant, right? Because it's deep red. Uh, it doesn't matter about the size of the market. And, and I just bring up Wyoming because that's kind of like at one end of the spectrum. You know, that wouldn't be the most attractive market. And people would say, well, that doesn't really move the needle, but it would. Um, so when I look at this election, I mean, Maryland is is great. Maryland, we just wrote a story on MJ Biz Daily, like the polling there is really strong. It looks like that's going to pass. Uh, that's a big new market that's going to come online. Um, that type of, that's what I'm wary about. Like the industry cannot get used to being saved by the New Yorks, the Maryland's, you know, coming up every year or two with these massive markets that create all these opportunities. Um, so we've still got some low hanging or, or we still have some fruit on the tree, you know, with Florida, maybe going rec one day, Texas. Uh, but those markets are drying up. Right. So I just caution, like, Hey, there's some good stuff that's coming, but let's let's fundamentally change and and make sure the the businesses can compete in an environment where that's not the case. The good news is in the near term, you know, Maryland would be a big market. There'd be lots of opportunities. We don't know the regulations, but um, that would further move the needle. And then, you know, I think with the rest, it's really about the the ongoing march of cannabis legalization. The more states that legalize, there will be business opportunities. Some cases they're big, some cases they're small, they're all important. You know, getting both both Dakotas, you know, with rec. I mean, 
Uh, I mean, that's who would have thought that five years ago, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. That's significant in that they're red states and it's rack. And, and, you know, like every, every state that does it has its own unique contribution to where this is all going. Um, again, I don't think this will be the catalyst that completely changes the industry, but man, if we get a full sweep in the elections uh, in terms of legalization, that's, that's certainly a, a promising sign for investors. Absolutely. Well, and look, I know we're, you know, we're, we're, we're about hitting our time here, um, but I did want to f- finish with, with trends, right? I mean, MJ Biz, at MJ Biz, you guys see more trends in the industry than probably anybody, right? You're aware of what's going on in every state and every business uh, around the country. So, you know, what, what trends are you following as we look towards 2023 and beyond? And, and what, what, you know, what new trends in the industry have you particularly excited about the future? Yeah, and I'll get a little like because I'm going to talk about this in my talk at MJ BizCon. I don't want to blow my uh, dirt or, or you know uh, take my own steam away here, but what a tease! Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, come to MJ BizCon to find out more. Uh, no, I don't. I'm not. Link in the show notes. <laughs> um, you know, I think I, I think what makes me excited, honestly, is. Um, there needs to be a culling in some areas and whether that's companies going out of business because they weren't run well or companies realizing they need to run differently. Uh, if that is sinking in, I'm excited about that because the industry couldn't continue down that path. Um, and I'm not talking about the whole industry. You're primarily talking about, you know, some of the OG states, mostly in the Western half of the country. Um, but, uh, but I think there needs to be a, a, a right sizing here and that the businesses that are in it, much like we saw in Canada, they need to do business differently. And you have to take that sophisticated business approach, which we've been lobbying for at MJ Biz for 11 years now um, to compete effectively. You know, I, I'm still encouraged by the innovation we see in infused products and thinks there's a lot of potential there. The, the branding evolution, um, you know, uh, and, and finding all these niche markets of people. And, and you can't even really call them niche in some cases because they're huge swaths of the population, but whether it's women um, developing products that appeal to women, either from a fashion standpoint or a usage standpoint or a uh, personal health standpoint, uh, I think I, I like the evolution I'm seeing with companies targeting specific types of people and really catering products to their needs. Uh, wasn't wasn't like that really even a couple of years ago. Um, and then also I'm looking at, uh, at these East Coast markets that are developing very differently than, than the Western p- part of the country. Uh, you know, markets like New York, I'm excited to see how that develops. Like that's obviously hugely significant. And, uh, and once that industry gets rolling with adult use, uh, hopefully it'll be in- influential and, and spread out, whether it's for policy change federally or in other states, uh, people taking the industry more seriously, investors, Wall Street type investors taking it more seriously. Uh, you know, so those are some of the things and then kind of the global picture too, and how the U S is going to fit in that with more companies in the U S now actually looking to other markets outside the U S whether that's a good move or not, I don't know. Um, the Canadians kind of took that mantle for a couple of years and got smoked by, you know, trying to, uh, become the global leaders and made a lot of bad decisions and bought into faulty estimates of how other markets would evolve in other countries. But I still like this global picture and what the U.S. is going to do to move that needle. And, and can we get that to be a, you know, a global industry? Um, and then it's really like, let's get through this period together. You know, I'm, I'm excited for, for, for money to come back in, for hopefully regulations to change favorably and for new states to come online. 
uh, yeah, I think we we both co-sign all of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what a great preview to your talk. So I hope everybody listening will go to MJ Biz uh, and uh, register, get your ticket um, so that you can hear Chris's uh, keynote in, in its entirety. And I think, um, you know, you mentioned, you just touched on, you know, the international aspect. I would love to do a show with you just focused on that, you know, in the in the coming months. So because um, sure. I, I definitely think that's a, a fascinating, um, it's just not that it's not talked about because I think we're, we're stuck in our own knitting here, but um, it would be good to kind of zoom out and, and do a show on that. So um, yeah, Chris Walsh, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciated your time today um, and uh, have a great show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. And I uh, hope to see you there. Thanks to our friend Chris Walsh, the CEO of MJ Biz. Make sure to follow MJBizDaily.com for all of your cannabis news and register for the upcoming Marijuana Business Conference, MJ BizCon, on November 15th through the 18th in Las Vegas. As always, thanks for listening. If you want, chat with us. Find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast or drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. And please don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take. Cannabis! Cannabis!